you ever feel like that? Like there's so much distraction around you and it's so loud, it's so overwhelming, you can't even think. How many have ever been there? You got kids? Raise your hand. Then you've been there, right? You know exactly. Are you married? Then you've been there, okay? Do you feel like there's so much noise in life sometimes that you can't hear God speaking to you? If you haven't felt like that, then you're living in a world that I'm not used to living in. I've never lived in because every day of my life, I have these voices that I hope that don't catch you off guard there. I'm not talking about I deal with voices in my head, but voices from the world that are constantly trying to whisper in my ear things that I'm not doing good enough in. And sometimes it is in my head. I, 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 some of the loudest noise is right here. And I, I've created narratives in my own mind that I convince myself are okay to believe. And that's where we get, and it gets so loud, and, and I can't think. I can't hear what God's trying to tell me. And sometimes I feel like I just don't want to, I just don't want to press on. And then anxiety sets in and depression sets in, and we've all been there in different ways. Have you ever found yourself in a situation that you were in a room? I was dealing with this when we were prepping all the supplies for uh, our outreach on Monday. And then, and all those teens, they love uh, Christian rap, and it was so loud. And I'm just, I'm from Alabama, and I just, it just, just wasn't doing really well up here for me. And I could not think, I could not focus. It was loud, it was noisy. And then me and Ellie will go out, and she likes her music loud. And we're trying to go downtown Columbus, and there's a lot going on. And I can't think. I'm, th I'm trying to listen to GPS. We got whoever on the radio, and everything's going around. And I'm finally, I just shut that off. And it's just, okay, I can think now. Sometimes you got to get out of the house and just get away and alone. Get away from the noise. I tell you, noise. It's everywhere. And I'm not talking about the noise of a city like you just saw. I'm talking about the noise of the world in the sense that Things get in our head, in our ear, and they get us to the point where we feel like we just can't do the job God has called us to do. Can I talk to you about noise? I don't know why preachers ask that question, can I? Of course I'm going to. That's why you're here. In Nehemiah, a story that is really profound but overlooked so often takes place. And it happens in the life of a man named Nehemiah. In the book of Nehemiah, he gives his account. And if you go back to Nehemiah chapter 1, you'll learn real quick that Nehemiah was a profound man. He's like the executive to the king. He was the cupbearer. And Nehemiah had a huge responsibility. And he was honored. And for a matter of fact, he was in a position that he wasn't really used to because he, he was from Jerusalem and he was out of his comfort zone. And he's about 250 miles outside of east of Babylon. So he's in a very unique place in Persia. And so while in Persia, he was experiencing some benefits from God, some blessings because he was honoring God. But his whole life got flipped upside down because his brother showed up. And sometimes that happens when family shows up. So his brother traveled for about four months, nearly a thousand miles to bring a message to Nehemiah. And so when he shows up, according to Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 2, he explains to his brother there's some big issues going on in, in our hometown. Our family's dealing with this. Our, the citizens of the town are dealing with this. And I feel like you need to help us deal with this. So he explains. He explains that the walls of Jerusalem are still crumbled and destroyed and nothing's happened. 
Nobody stepped up to rebuild the walls. Now, this was no surprise for Nehemiah because Nehemiah knew that 150 years prior to this, the walls were destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, if you don't know who King Nebuchadnezzar is, he's the same one that took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and threw them into the fire because they wouldn't bow down to this false god. He was a, he was a vicious king, awful man. And so these walls remained in, in, in shambles, fallen, destroyed, piles of it. And so this was reproach on the city. Now, stay with me because I don't want you to lose track because we've got a, a lot to cover before we dive into what we need to dive into. Check this out. So here's the reality of it. There's shame on a city when they don't have the proper walls around the city. Why is that? Well, that's because the, the, the walls represented protection. Y'all following me? If you didn't have walls around your city, you could protect yourself from the outsiders and not those that are coming in as merchants. We're talking about the enemies. And so Nehemiah understood that there's a reproach on the city. It's shameful that they can't even protect their own people. And then there was no prosperity. So we're talking about Nehemiah. Stay with me. And Nehemiah is reflecting on the fact that there's issues. There's shame on the city of Jerusalem because all the walls are, are still collapsed. Nobody's rebuilt them. And so there's, there's no protections. There's no prosperity because nobody's buying and selling in the city. Nobody wants to go to a city step over all the rubble and try to figure out how I can set up and begin to, to, to make sales and, and have a, a trading at this city. It's not going to work. And the other issue is just uh, production. It's not just prosperity, it's production. Nobody wanted to go to that city and live. They didn't trust it. It was shameful. They couldn't rely on that city to be a safe haven for their family. And all that, in a nutshell, made Nehemiah realize we've got a problem. This is shameful. We serve the king of kings, the true and living God. And I am in Persia and I can't do anything about this. And this is my family suffering. This is my community suffering. Let's get real close and personal right now. It's, 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 it's like Dublin, Ohio, right? You see, there's shame. Let's say there's some things going on in Dublin, and you say, there's got to be some changes. And I'm not saying that's necessarily taking place in Dublin, but imagine with me if a city is suffering because of sin and there's things that are not taking place that need to take place to bring glory to God and good to the people, something needs to happen. Like a church rising up and saying, hey, you know what? We need to plant another church. And our sending church says, go to Dublin. And we knew that that's where God was calling us because there's 52,000 people, and the average home has... Uh, a couple that's around 40 years old, and a lot of them are so blessed, so blessed with money, but at the same time, so empty inside. There's a problem. Homes are falling apart. And so here is Nehemiah looking at the situation, listening to his brother, and Nehemiah is broken to the point, according to Nehemiah chapter uh, 1 and verse 4, Nehemiah um, began to weep and he began to pray. You know, I, I question people that are really broken. Never weep over the things you're broken about. I don't know if you're really broken. I'm not saying you have to weep and cry every time you get broken over a situation, but this was real to him. But it was a little bit, it went further than that. He, he took it a step further. He started examining his own life according to Nehemiah chapter 1, and then verse 6 through 7. He started realizing the reasons why the walls were not built around Jerusalem is because there was sin in Jerusalem. They, not, they had some things they never resolved. And that was the whole reason the walls were crumbling in the first place. That's the whole reason the walls fell in the first place, because they didn't obey the laws of Moses. Now watch, this is very important, because 
God himself warned them, if you do not follow the laws of Moses and apply them, according to Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 8, Nehemiah recounts the fact that they would be scattered abroad, the children of Israel. There would be an issue. And so Nehemiah begins to confess and say, I've got some, some issues in my life that I need to get right. He starts confessing that, God, it's not just me, but it's my city. We need to get right. And if we, as people, stop for just a minute, put yourself in his position. If we don't start with ourselves, how can we reach Dublin? How can we reach Columbus? You evaluate yourself first. And this is convicting for me. So if you could stay focused, I hope you can catch what I'm saying. This is convicting for me because I, every morning, every morning I wake up and I say, God, I need help. I need to start fresh. I want to get my life right. I want to make sure I'm focused. And whatever I need to rebuild in my life, symbolically speaking, I want to rebuild it. Whatever structure, spiritually speaking, is not right, help me fix this. And this is where he is. He's evaluating all of these things that need to be fixed. And so, as we read through this, it's amazing what happens. He, he makes a decision in his own heart before he makes a decision to move into the city to change some things. And through this, he did four things. He wept, he prayed, he fasted, and then he acted. And I think that showed the reality of where he was. He was serious about what he was about to do. And so Nehemiah knew that there had to be a change in his own life before he could change his city. And so he started to make some decisions in his heart. And he didn't say anything to anybody just yet. But it was very evident that he was struggling with what was going on. So it was all over his face. Some of you, you, you can't. You can't hold what's inside, inside. It comes out on the outside, and really it comes out on your face. How many feel like you're like that? You're upset? It's tough as a pastor. It's really tough as a pastor because I can be really frustrated with something. And I'm like, man, it's good to see you. And I turn for a minute, and I'm like, oh, i got to deal with this. And, or, you're like, or you look at your spouse and say, I'm trying to keep a good face on right now, but something's really ticking me off. I'm really frustrated with this. Y'all been there. You know what I'm talking about. He couldn't maintain a good face. He goes before the king, and the Bible says that it was so evident that he was weary, and he was so upset that it was all over his face to the point that the king looked at him and says, are you sick? <laughs> Is there something wrong with you? Because you look really upset to the point maybe you're sick. And so he spills the beans, and he tells the king, it's not that I'm sick. I'm broken. I'm broken over my city. So in Nehemiah chapter 2, 1 and 2, he begins to explain to the king the problem and the dilemma of his city, and he pours his heart out. But he takes it a step further, and I love this about him. And in a minute, you're going to see the noise that starts to get loud, the division in the city that he's about to go to, and it, it creates a problem for him to accomplish what he needs to accomplish. But in verse chapter 2 and verse 4 through 9, he just spills the beans to the king. And then he makes a very big decision. And I think it's the same decision we need to make when we realize in our heart there's not things right in our home. And there's walls that are crumbled down in our marriage, with our kids, with our relationships. We need to make a decision to get it right, but also to approach the king. And I know this was a physical king, but we serve the king of kings. It's God, the Jehovah God. And, I, and then we have the same responsibility to go before our God with our needs, with, with our questions, with our brokenness for our family, just like Nehemiah did. So he went to the physical king, and this is what he did. He asked in verse 7 for permission. He said, give me some letters that I can go to my city 
with the authority that I have been commissioned by the king to do what I'm about to do. Then he goes a little further than that. He says in the very next verse, verse 8, he needed the provision of the king. Now, this takes a lot of guts. I not only want your permission to leave, to stay over in my hometown that's hundreds of miles away, to not be here present in Persia to serve you this king, but I want you to give me the supplies I need. I want you to go as far as to even give me the letters to go to the keeper of the king's forest. In other words, I need Home Depot from the king. I need to get all the lumber and all the supplies and load up and go change my community. That is courage. And so he took it one more step. I don't know. I not only want the, to, the permission, the provision, but he said, I want your protection. I want to know the king's got my back because I'm about to do a great work. And so the king owed him nothing, just like our king owes us nothing. But we ask anyway because we're children of the Lord. So, so we ask, and the king makes a decision. He said, now I'm not only going to give you some horsemen and these people that are going to protect you, but I'm going to give you some of the, my captains to go with you as well. So Nehemiah takes the next step, and as we follow scripture, he chooses to leave in the middle of the night. But he does this without telling anybody, just a handful of people and the ones that the king supplied because it was in his heart, and he was passionate about what he was going to do. And so in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 12, he said this, Neither told I any man, this is the account that he put in, 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 in the book of Nehemiah, what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Sometimes we're so quick to make a decision for God that we want everybody to know the decision you made. That's good, sometimes. It's kind of like those that make a decision, they're going to go out on diet and they get a, a gym membership. So they put on Facebook for everybody to know their first day at the gym. First day at the gym, work it out. Been on a diet today, 1,600 calories, let's go. And they're sweating for the first time. And they everybody know that they're at the gym working out, right? And they never go back. They advertise, they put it all out there, but it really wasn't settled in their heart that they were going to go forward with this. Nehemiah was in a position, he's like, you know what? I don't need to let anybody know in Persia. All I need to do is have this settled with God, make my move, and make a difference. And sometimes when you come to the point in your life where you see where your family is, where your life is, where your marriage is, where your kids are, you have to make a decision. Either you're going to settle to allow it to stay where it is, or you're going to rise up not advertise, and just make a difference. Have you got comfortable walking over the rubble in your life and saying, you know, this is the way our marriage has been for the last 20 years. This is the way my relationship's been with my kids for the last 15 years. This is the way it's been with the church, and this is the way it's been with this, and this, and this, and this. And I just come to be comfortable with it. I think that's a problem. Y'all following me? Yep. Your marriage has drifted so much, you're just roommates now. Y'all don't even stay in the same room. Say hi and bye, do your job, do your thing. That's an issue. You know what you've become comfortable with? The shame of your city. I'm seeing, saying this symbolically. Within your home, the walls are falling. There's no protection. There's no production. There's issues in your home. You haven't approached the king to say, I need to make a difference. And it starts with me as dad. Or it starts with me as mom. Or maybe the kids. But you got to get busy to make a difference. I need you to perk up for just a minute. Just pretend you just drank five shots of espresso like I did this morning. All right, y'all with me? Stay with me. I know it's a library and it gets quiet, but I need you to focus because this is the point of the whole thing. 
Nehemiah leaves. He goes to his town and he makes a decision to start to build. And then things got noisy. Anytime you make a decision to make a difference in your home, in your church, in your community, that's when things get loud. That's when the enemy starts shouting things in your ear and making you feel like, I just can't do this. Every one of you have made a decision maybe at some point in your life for God and you felt the pressure. You felt people talking to you and you felt the anxiety of whether I should move forward. I felt that over and over and over again when I planted Thrive Church when we did this a year and a half ago nearly. I, I felt it. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? You know, you can do, you, you can take a, a lead position in any church, maybe in, maybe in Tennessee. Hey, you can, you can get some really good insurance and this, that, and the other, and all these whispers in my ear so loud because it's trying to convince me I can't do what God called me to do. And you just want to just say, okay, I'm going to listen. But Nehemiah started experiencing this, and this is where it all comes together. Watch this. The Bible says, according to Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 17, that when he got to the city, that he gathered all the people together. He started with the community. He got them all together. And according to verse 17, he spoke into their lives. And he says, do you guys see the distress of our city? The waste? In verse 17 and 18, he pours into them and says, the walls are torn down. The doors are burnt. There's no production. There's no protection. There's no, there, everything that our forefathers worked hard to do are gone now. Are you okay with that? Is this the way you want to live? Is this the way you want to be? He said, let us build up the walls of Jerusalem because I'm not satisfied with this. I think we need to come together and we need to build. And then in verse 18, he said, let us rise up and build, 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 build. I know this is very symbolic, but the reality is in your life right now, you have to make a decision. Are you going to rise up and rebuild? Rebuild what? I don't know. I can't speak for you. Rebuild the way you think. Maybe that's a good start. Maybe rebuild your marriage. Maybe rebuild your relationship with Jesus Christ. Rebuild your priorities. If you have a 40% uh, attendance rate at, at church on Sunday and it's only one hour out of your week, maybe you need to rebuild your attendance. You say attendance sounds so, so strict. and No, I'm not saying it's about checking a box and showing up on Sunday. I'm talking about being committed to growing as a family in God's word. When's the last time you were committed to, re, to build up that area of your life and your community and you're getting involved? You're not hearing about it on Sunday. Hey, we did A, B, C, and D. God's working. No, you're saying, I'm a part of what God's doing. You say, I'm busy. I am too. We all are. But in life, we got to make a decision of the areas that we want to build up and prioritize. Is everybody with me? Y'all focused? I think it's so important. So he challenges the people and it gets real now. He gets real because the people are all on board. And so they built, according to Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6 and 8. They joined together. They started to build. And then all of a sudden, some fellas showed up. Sam Ballot, Tobiah, and Geshem. These three stooges showed up and they're like, man, what are y'all doing? What's going on? The Bible said they scorned them, they laughed at them, and started spreading rumors about what they're doing. Now, one or two things are taking place. Either A, 
They're very upset because they didn't step up and rebuild the walls. And these are leaders within the town. Or B, or B, they didn't believe in the same God of Nehemiah. They didn't like the direction of the city. And they didn't want this to take place. They were just completely left of the direction of Nehemiah. So they spoke up. And according to Nehemiah chapter 6, 1 through 3, they started to create conflict within the city and create problems to hinder them from moving forward. Now, this is when it gets loud. And the first thing that got loud was the fake news. Oh, we all love fake news. We create fake news. You say, well, it's the media. It's not, I'm not just talking about media. We all know about that. I'm talking about things in our own life. Y'all follow me? I'm talking about simplistic things in our life. Like, for instance, in your life, you allow things to create in your mind ideas you create in your mind. Y'all follow me? These narratives you created, like there's no way that I can repair what happened five years ago in my marriage. There's no way to come back from the adultery. There's no way to come back from the pornography. There's no way to come back from the things I told my wife last night. There's no way. Let me tell you something. That's part of the fake news. And so Nehemiah chapter 6, 4 through 7, four times the Bible says a messenger came to Nehemiah from Geshem. And they came with the same report according to verse 6. They had this report, and he said, Geshem said this, the heathen, he references them as the heathen said this, this is what we know about what you guys are doing. You're building the wall so you can become the king of this city. Not only that, we heard you got a preacher man set up that's sending out messages, preaching that you were sent by God to do this to become the king. And then he goes a little further and he begins to spread gossip and, and, and create discord through fake news. Y'all follow me? And Nehemiah listens to everything he has to say. With this in mind, he understood the source of the news and who it was coming from. It was Geshem, which was one of the three stooges that were constantly on him about what he was doing. And so... He says in chapter 6 of verse 7, they sent four times. They came to me four times, and I answered them after the same manner every single time. He said, I cannot come down. I'm not getting down from this wall and the work that I've been called to do. I will not bow the knee to your philosophy, your opinions, your ideas, and your fake news. And let me tell you something about fake news. It is persistent. That's why the Bible even says they came back a fifth time. They're not going to say it once. They're not going to say it twice. They're not going to say it three times, four times, five times. They're just going to keep on, keep on, keep and keeping on. And here's the reality. When you make a decision to rebuild some things in your life, your family might be the ones bringing the fake news. Because sometimes people get jealous when you make a right decision. Say, so you're such a holy roller. You're making that decision for your family. What's so special about that? It's easy to raise somebody else's family, isn't it? Sometimes we realize, we have to realize that people say things because they're upset because you're making the right decision for your family and they're making the wrong decision. And because of that, they're just, they're just ticked off. And they ain't going to accept it. No, they're going to spread some fake news and they're going to be persistent about it. And before you know it, you feel overwhelmed. And I'm not, and let me remind you, I know news and I know social media, and I know, I understand if you're old school and you read the newspaper and listen to the radio, whatever you may do can overwhelm you with fake news. Every time you turn around, there's negative news. It's there, and it's persistent. We hear more about negativity than we do positive things. Yeah. It's overwhelming. 
I feel really old when I say something like this. Back in the day when social media wasn't a thing and we actually watched the news, and I remember my parents watching the news, and I thought, they'd watch the news at 10 o'clock at night. It always came on, and I knew that was my bedtime, but I'd want to watch the news because my parents were watching the news. The news back in the early 90s was usually about things that were happy. They would cover things that were negative at times, especially in the 80s. You know, when all the serial killers were doing their thing? <laughs> I don't know what was going on in the 80s, but something was wrong. But they would highlight some of those things, but the focus wasn't on those things. It was the positive news. And then something flipped, especially in 2020. News changed completely across the Amer America. For us, things were different, and it became oppressing and overwhelming and distracting. Persistent division, and it was loud. Let me tell you something. Fake news is a lie. He said, I said to them in verse 8, the things that they're saying, I'm paraphrasing, thou created it. You created it. This came out of your heart, your mind. This is something you came up with. This is a narrative of your own doing. And I will not come down. I will not heed to it. This is out of your heart, and this is where my heart is, and I'm going to pursue truth. I'm not going to believe the lies. Seeking truth is such a refreshing thing for life. It's the truth that will set us free. It's truth that's liberating. When you stop trying to create narratives in your mind because you're worried about a situation, so we're going to go bankrupt. It's all going to fall apart. We're going to lose the car. We're going to lose the house. I, don't, I got this strange, unusual cough. I got this pain in my leg. I must have A, B, C, and D. I don't know what you got, but I know that's easy for us to create this loud fake news in our mind and we get defeated and we're not able. To, let me focus, focus on the wall to finish the job. Now, let's, let's keep on going real quick here. Fake news is agenda. There's a reason why it's persistent. It's the reason, same reason Satan was so persistent. He was, the, he was the fake news from the very beginning. Little news reporter climbed up in a tree and whispered in the ears of Adam and Eve, right? Questioning everything, persistent from the very beginning of time. And he wanted to take counsel with them. And according to Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 7, these people wanted to take counsel with Nehemiah. said, come on down, let's talk this over. Let me introduce you to what's being said and let me get in your head. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary, the devil. He's a roaring lion. He's seeking whom he may devour. To be sober and vigilant means to be, have self-control and watchful and clear-headed and alert because we know that the things that can be said against us when we're doing that which is right, can, it's not just fake news, but there's an agenda. The goal is to stop you from pursuing what's right for your family, to stop you from pursuing what's right for your marriage and for yourself and for your career and for your future and for your church, but also I believe that the, what was really loud in the life of these people when they're building the wall, according to Nehemiah 6.9, was a fearful life. They lived in fear because of the fear that was created by these people. According to verse 9, Nehemiah said, For they all made us afraid, saying, The hands shall be weakened from the work that is being, not being done. He said, They literally told us that if you keep on doing what you're doing, you'll never be able to finish the job. You want to finish the job. You want to complete the work. If you keep on doing what you're doing, it's just not going to happen. And so they became fearful. The fear of doubt is one of the most defeating things that you can have in your life. The doubt that you can actually accomplish being the man that you need to be. 
The doubt that you allow in your mind that says you can't fulfill this. You can't financially be this. You can't successfully be this spiritual and, and have these things in your life. You can't do this. Doubt. I, don't, I just don't want to doubt myself. When God has called me to do something, I want to have clarity of mind. This is what God has called me to do. And so Nehemiah begins to speak to the men and explain to them that they're only doing this. Their agenda is to hinder us from finishing the work. Don't doubt what God has called us to do. This fearful life. And then he, he goes a little further because the men not only doubted the ability to finish, but they were doubting their own lives. They were so scared. The same way so many of us were scared back in 2020 and 2021 with everything that was raging at that time with, the, uh, with coronavirus, we were living a lifestyle of fear. And I understand it was new and, and we weren't aware of what was really taking place. But the reality is a lot of people live that life every single day. They're just questioning God and their purpose in life. And so Nehemiah 6.10 the people started going to the house of God, the temple, and they'd shut the door in the temple and they were hiding away. And they said, if we don't come and get out of the city and go to the temple, they're going to slay us. And Nehemiah said, I'm not going in there. I'm not going to stop the work that God has called me to do. I cannot, here it is, I cannot live in fear. So here's the question. Where have you put yourself, your life, where you've closed off everybody, and put yourself in a position. What is this position you've put yourself in where you're fearful and you're hiding? What is it? Is it your finances? Are you trusting God? I've met so many people that says, there's no way that I could ever give a tithe or an offering. My budget is so tight. I just can't imagine doing that. I just can't imagine giving 2%, 5%, 10%. No, I can't do that. There's no way. Let me tell you something. I remember that feeling. And I remember how much pressure I had on me when I was living in Tennessee and I was barely making any money. And I thought to myself, what, are you crazy? God, we're, we're serving you full time right now. Why? Why would I give money on top of everything else I'm giving? My time, my talents, my treasures. Come on, God. I'm literally, I'm wick. I'm, I'm, I'm doing the very best I can. I'm going to the food pantry to get food. I mean, this is tough, tough stuff. But it was like God was saying to me, I don't, know, I don't only want you to give at least 10%. But I want you to take a step of faith and give something to missions too. Go above and beyond. And one after another, a blessing from God began in my life. Because I couldn't live behind a door of fear. I needed to trust God with my finances because they're his money. that's his money, not mine. I had to take a step of faith when I moved my family from Tennessee to Ohio. From the promised land of East Tennessee to Ohio. Y'all follow me? It's not living in fear. So these men, they came back together and they been, began to work. And the Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 15, so the wall was finished. Regardless of circumstances, regardless of what was taking place, they finished the wall in the midst of what was loud and screaming in their ears every single day. And here's what I love about Nehemiah 6.15. The Bible says that they gathered together in unity to celebrate. And let me remind you, this city that came together, they were from different tribes. The tribe of Levi and the different tribes that were surrounding that area, the 12 different tribes. But not only that, some came from Jericho. And they came together in unity. I love, let me get really personal, 
I love the fact that we had worship in the park and we had all types of cultures that came together in like-mindedness to worship God. But I do not love it when we see a culture that's different than us. And even though we don't agree with their doctrine, we're not going to compromise on that. We treat them harshly. Can I get real personal? Last Sunday, I walked out this door and came around this corner. I always make it a point. The Muslims that are giving out their information, I always go up to them, shake their hand, maybe give them a hug. Tell them I love them. You say, you're compromised. No, I love them. You can't give truth without love. You hear me? You cannot give truth without love. I don't love what they're doing, but I love who they are because they're just as human as me and you. I gave him a hug last Sunday, and he looked at me, and he said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, why do some of your people, when they walk out that door, look at me with such hate? I said, what? He said, it makes me wonder what's being said behind this wall that's behind me about us. I said, man, that's, that's tough, and I'm sorry. We do not promote hate, anger. That's wrong. Anybody that looked at you, I apologize if they looked at you in that way. The reality is we love our community. And the reality is we don't agree with your doctrine and we don't agree with what you're promoting, especially when you include the name of Jesus Christ because he's the name above all names. And that's very sensitive. And sometimes people, because that's sensitive, can handle it the wrong way. And for that I apologize because they're frustrated or angry. And some hold on to things from a long time ago, back in 9-11, and it hurts them. And they react in a way that maybe they shouldn't react. But here's the truth. We do love you and we do care about you. We may not agree with you. But anytime you could ever need somebody to lean on, I hope you can lean on us because we want to help you. Now, you might sit there and think, I would have never said that. I didn't ask you if you'd say that. This is what I felt like I needed to say because people need the Lord. <laughs> and I'm not being cliche because of the old song. I'm saying they really need the Lord because they don't know any better. And when a community comes together to make a difference, they need to know that this church loves them. This church is there for them. We may not agree with what they're doing. I may not agree with what some of the things you're doing. You may not agree with some of the things I do behind closed doors. The reality is, is we're, we're human, but we still love each other and we're going to reach our community. And the community came together of like-mindedness and they put down the walls and then focused on God. And the Bible says, close in Nehemiah chapter 8, I love this that Nehemiah closed it out with a celebration of preaching the word. He got one of the preachers to come together, open the book, and preached to them. And they celebrated together the victory of the walls being built, the shame being removed. And they said together in the very end of verse 6, Amen, with lifting up of hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. That is pretty awesome. That's what it's all about. I've met so many people on Monday that had no idea, just clueless, didn't know the truth. And in their life, their walls are in shambles. Some of the girls were on this side on Monday, and they're giving out bottles of water, and I'm on the other side with Christian, and he's doing his pop-up with Magic Camp promoting it. Guy came along with his grandkids, and he watched Christian do the magic and give his grandkids, they're from Kentucky, some, some magic tricks. And he pulled me aside, and he said, here's a $50 bill. Use it for whatever you think you need to use it for. He said, thank you for investing my kids. Not in church. Just took a moment. Has no idea who we are as a church. He did know we're a Christian because he said, you're a Christian, right? <laughs> I said, yeah, we are. He didn't know that what he did was going to help somebody else. Because the girls are on this side, and an elderly lady with a, a walker was with no home, 
pushing her, walking her along. They gave her a bottle of water, talked to her, encouraged her. She crossed the bridge, and everybody's cleaned out, cleaned up, moved out, headed home. And I was packing up a few things, and I was a little bit behind. And I saw her. She seemed discouraged. And I came up to her, and I said, hey, are you okay? And she said, no, I'm not okay, because I need to get out of the place I'm living and there's this mission house that's supposed to help me, but I don't have a phone number. And we looked it up together and gave her the information, gave her some stuff from Thrive Church. She's really encouraged. And then in the, and I said, hey, why don't you get your mind off things? You've got a lot of things in your mind. Noise, right? Why don't you take this $50 bill and go get some food tonight? Just enjoy. She said, you know what I'm going to do with that $50 bill? I'm going to use it for my birthday next week. I'm turning 73. I said, well, you do that. Use it for your birthday. And I hope it's a good one. Let me tell you something. People need help because their lives are in shambles. It's like the city of Jerusalem. The walls are crumbled. If you could hear some of the stories of those kids that were here last week, their personal life and what they were going through, it would blow your mind. It blew my mind. I couldn't even fathom. Two of the girls that gave out those bottles of water, that were so sweet. One of them gave it to you, Charles. Living on their own, in their house, sisters. They live by themselves because their mom and dad are dead. But their guardian lives next door, so they said, we want to give you the ability to stay in your parents' home where you grew up. And we'll watch you and we'll take care of you. Who would ever thought that little girl that smiled and was giving out bottles of water just to refresh people on a hot day was going through all of that? Y'all follow me? The walls were in shambles. My point is simply this. Do not come down. Do not come down. Do not come down. we got a job to do. Let's do the job. Y'all follow me? Yes, sir. So don't let the noise that's around you discourage you from completing the work that you've been called to do. Let's finish the job. 